I am back with uh, Troy, Dr. Troy Ada. Um, and the last time we uh, we had uh, our podcast, we had started to breach into uh, the interesting topic of Excel, and and we kind of mentioned that Excel was dead or dying. And um, I thought since uh, lots of students, especially graduates and undergraduates, are studying Excel, especially in business, I thought it would be a good um, topic of discussion to address that issue as to why we would even say that uh, Excel is um, is dying, especially that you know around 750,000 users actually using it. So, Troy, what do you think? What, what do you say? Um, well, I wouldn't say that Excel is actually dead, but I would say that it is rapidly uh, becoming uh, not the frontline tool that it used to be. If you think about it, Excel was created back in the what was it, late 80s, early 90s, in terms of a, I'll call it a stopgap measure. Um, if you think about it, uh, computers were relatively new, uh, data sets were relatively new and relatively small, and a lot of folks didn't want to get into coding. So what the Excel spreadsheet allowed folks to do is basically have data and some light level of coding sort of on the same sheet at the same time. And for the longest time, probably for 20 to 25 years, that was pretty good. It was pretty good as, as the primary computational tool for a lot of folks. It was pretty good in terms of looking at data, data mining, and even visualization. You know, they've added features over the years. But I think that there's a couple of things that have happened, particularly in the last 10 years, that have made Excel so not so much sort of the, the leading um, computational tool of choice anymore. First of all, first of all, this idea of having both your data and the code on the same page um, is problematic once data gets to a certain size. Um, if you're looking at things like five years worth of income statements, then you're talking about what five by ten, maybe fifty different cells, and keeping track of this cell is related to that cell or this cell is data instead of code is pretty straightforward. Once you start filling up a spreadsheet, right? Once you get to thousands or tens of thousands, or in some case hundreds of thousands of rows and multiple columns, it's not so easy to sort of keep track of what's being done where. Now, I've worked in several different industries, and it's funny that in both the financial services industry and um, sort of educational administration, I've had regulators come in and tell me that they're, they're not really in favor of Excel spreadsheets because there's no sort of uh, line of, of tracking. Right? You can't sit down and say that there's an evidentiary chain, that the data was brought in here and that these steps were done to them, because particularly in Excel and other spreadsheet programs like it, um, you can do things that, that aren't formulas. You do things by clicking and dragging, uh, clicking on drop-down menus and so forth. The other issue that we've seen, too, is I think about five or six years ago, Excel expanded, and it, it increased the number of rows that it could handle up to something like a million and 44,000-odd rows. In the last five years, there's so many data sets out there that a million rows just doesn't cut it anymore. And it's very tempting to say, well, obviously the solution is to go back and have Microsoft increase the amount of rows you can have in a spreadsheet to 10 million. But you're not going to be able to stay ahead of it, and since we're already sort of burdened with the idea of you can't really tell what the heck's going on with thousands or, or hundreds of thousands of rows. Adding more rows is just going to make the, the, the sort of question a little bit dirtier and muckier than it already is. Increasing popularity in recent years of Google Sheets, right? The, the sort of um, ad hoc user, if you will, 
has been pretty happy with Google Sheets. And Google Sheets, I think, has taken over some market share from Excel, particularly for home users and for, for small business users. And if you look at the difference between Google Sheets and Excel, Excel has a lot of additional features that Google Sheets does not have. Most of those are for the data analysts. And for the longest time, you know, you could do regression. Uh, you have add-ins such as the at-risk uh, package from Palisade Software that allows simulations within Excel and so forth. Google Sheets don't attempt to do those. They don't attempt to be uh, uh, sort of analyst-focused. Excel has attempted to be analyst-focused. Excel has encouraged those things. Excel has, you know, for the longest time had a programming language behind it, uh, Visual Basic for Applications. Visual Basic for Applications has sort of dropped out of favor in terms of uh, an up-and-coming tool set. It's no longer that applicable anymore. But secondly, you'll find that companies that used to make add-ins for Excel or that used to come up with dedicated macro packages for Excel, there's so many better choices if you actually want to do code and you want to do more complicated things, it's not so easy to shoehorn them into the Excel box, if you will, as it used to be, because there's a lot more complicated and, and complex and advanced uh, functionality that just isn't ever going to fit into Excel. So it, it looks like Excel is easy to use, but if you want to go beyond it and you want to start programming in it, is it more difficult? Is that what it is? It's uh... Well, so two things. One is, yes, learning Visual Basic for applications used to be the go-to tool. If you were a financial analyst in, let's say, the late 1990s, the early part of the 2000s, and you wanted to program, let's say, some very sophisticated cutting-edge option pricing formula, then maybe you would sit down and teach yourself Visual Basic for applications. You would write a behind-the-scenes set of code um, that would create functions that you could, proprietary functions you could then call from within Excel. That used to be the way to go about it. One of the harbinger of things to come is I've noticed in the uh, popular and financial press over the last year or two, you know, Microsoft has sort of started to start supporting the R programming language. And there's been some murmurings that maybe eventually R will become sort of maybe at least a secondary choice for a behind-the-scenes programming tool within Excel. Right now, there are packages that actually allow you to run R code within the Excel interface. It's not supported by Microsoft. But the point is, is that Visual Basic for Applications is, it's not a open source package-driven programming language like Python or other, other types of, of up-and-coming languages are. So in, in a sense, maybe it's safe to say that the underpinnings of Excel are not dead, but they're, they're, they're getting on in years and long, and long in the tooth, if you will, and they're not being, uh, there's no reason for supporting Visual Basic for applications in particular when there's so many open source popular programs out there that people have programming expertise in already. Uh, I remember when we used to do a securitization and build the waterfalls uh, for, for the securitization. Analysts uh, did use uh, Excel and as actually Visual Basic, but then uh, it was a very cumbersome, complicated, and and since you're saying now that Visual Basic is not really supported or they have issues with it, and you could see R coming into the fray. So obviously something is going on. So if you are a, uh, a finance student studying you know, to become uh, an analyst, what are you to do? Well, I think, to be honest, I think you have to learn both um, R and Python. If you look at the popular IDEs for both programming languages, you'll find that both of them have a view aspect that allows you to look at data very similar to the way that you would in an Excel spreadsheet. It's got rows, it's got columns, you can drive around in it, you can look at, in most cases, more data than you can look at in an Excel spreadsheet. So I think 
the evolution is going to be that in the next 5 to 10 to 20 years, financial analysts will still use Excel to sort of summarize and maybe do quick off-the-cuff off calculations, data mining, if, if you will. But in terms of making systematic, documented, more complicated programmatic approaches to analyzing data, they need to use a programming language. And right now, R and Python are the two best around. And I think that, you know, there's a misconception out there that when we're talking, you know, you should be using Python and R. And students really think that they are, they're coding these huge amount of lines. Um, but what you're describing is that you could use libraries of visual, you could visualize the information. You could almost like Excel. It's, it's, it's not a, a rows and rows of of, of coding. It's your moving items, correct? Is that's Yeah, and, and you know, so first of all, both programming languages have um, very healthy ecosystems of packages out there that folks have designed. And, you know, one of the, the running jokes in data science is somebody asks, hey, how do I do this? And the answer is always, well, there's a package for that. And just about anything you can think of, right? Coding emotional latency, uh, figuring out um, better looking histograms, better charts, there's a package for that. But above and beyond that, there's very healthy user bases for both languages. So for instance, when I teach classes on R, I tell the students, if you can't find a package to do something, then Google it. And I, I guarantee that either on Reddit or on Stack Overflow, somebody's going to come and say, hey, yeah, here's how you do this, and here's the code. Copy this code from here and paste it into R and run it, and you'll get what you want. So the point is, you know, sometimes it's not as, quote, formal as a, as a package that's supported on the CRAN repository or something along those lines. But even if it's just code that somebody gives you, it's not so much about writing the code. It's can I run the code and can I tweak it enough to make it serve my purposes. I understand that in terms of the beyond usage. I mean, currently, when we're thinking about Excel and your financial analyst, you're thinking about downloading your finances, your balance sheet, your income statement, your cash flow to make a decision. But, and that, we kind of touched a little bit of that the last time, but nowadays, for you to make a decision, it's going to be very different. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking uh, in China, for example, I know that some of the more advanced AI type of companies that are pushing forward uh, some of the, um, the, the credit-driven uh, applications will decide whether or not you're credit with a customer based on whether or not you're keeping your iPhone fully charged or not. <laughs> I, I can certainly... Um, um, I can certainly agree with that. How could you, how does it translate in Excel? I mean, well, and this goes back to something I mentioned at the beginning. If you think about it, back in the 80s and 90s when we started using Excel, it was balance sheets and income statements. That is, it was data that had been accumulated over a certain period of time because at that point of technology, tracking stuff summarizing it and sort of marking it down on a sheet of paper made sense only to do it maybe annually, maybe quarterly, maybe in some cases monthly, right? Nowadays, you want to track data continually. You want to be constantly updating what the earnings per share is, not just for the last quarter, but what it is this week versus last week or today or this hour versus what it is last hour. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, yes, there's lots of different um, indicators or, or harbingers of, of potential success that, that credit granting institutions have looked at above and beyond the balance sheet. But even if you just think about the parts of the balance sheet, think about, you know, 
What if we had a balance sheet that was constantly updated? Or what if we had an income statement that was a running average up to the very latest second? You know, again, Excel is meant to sort of periodically download data into it. Whereas a lot of these programming languages and even um, other types of programs such as dashboarding programs like Tableau and so forth, they're made to be constantly updated. They hit against um, underlying databases that are being continually refreshed. And so they give you an up-to-the-minute, more dynamic view, if you will, of what in Excel would be a static, in some cases, very stale view. Yeah, so I'm thinking if you're analyzing a retailer and... Uh, you want to know what people are saying about that retailer so you could incorporate it into your analysis. Correct. I mean, people are saying things about uh, retailers every day. So uh, to that end, yeah, Excel would not be well suited to for that constant periodical update that you mentioned. So yep. that's... Uh, now, the other topic, and you kind of briefly talked about it, but I think we need to expand on it, is uh, in terms of regulations. I mean, Excel, yes, it's easy to use, but has been prone to errors and have cost billions of dollars. How would a program built in R or in Python help towards that, make it less prone to errors? Or what is it that, that makes Excel more prone to errors rather than the, the programming language? Because you're programming it what you want it to do, as opposed to Excel where you're trying to fit Excel structure I think, it, I think it boils down to the implementation of drop-down menu methodology in Excel versus other programs. In Excel, if you want to delete a column or if you want to filter out particular rows, you can do so by right-clicking and choosing delete, but there's no evidence that that was ever done, right? In R, in other programming languages, if you use a click-down menu to say, let's filter these things, or let's take this data set and uh, sync it up with another data set, it will produce code for you. Now, you still have to be uh, a little bit thoughtful in terms of making sure you take that code that pops up in your console and bring it up to your script and making it part of the script. But you want to do that. You're incentivized to do that because, again, the idea is that you're going to be running this same set of code on another set of data tomorrow. And so having it replicatable, if you will, is both good for you, but it's also good for the auditors and the regulators when they come in. They can say, oh, okay, here, this line loads the data. This line gets rid of um, these uh, outliers. This line then calculates the mean and what's left, right? Whereas if you did that in Excel, well, how did you load the data? Well, I clicked on File, Import, okay? That's not really a line of code. It's, it's a set of actions. How did you decide how to filter out variables? Well, I ran a pivot table, and I decided that these guys were extraneous, so I went back to the data, and I deleted those rows. Where does that show up in the documentation, in the flow? It doesn't. It's a human process. I guess one of the, the ways to put it is that programming languages and the IDEs or the development editors around those programming languages help you to sort of document and formalize what would be ad hoc activities in Excel. So basically, uh, it's not auditable. I mean, unless you sit down with the analyst and you said you ask exactly what you did, you really, using Python and, and R in a programming is stronger because you actually see it and it's recordable and you could keep it and you could, uh, you could save it as opposed to have a long discussion. But yet, uh, I remember having a discussion last year with um, someone that manages um, information and, and mortgages and they analyze them. The statement that I was given was that machine learning, for example, 
Regulars don't really don't like it because it's kind of a black box. They don't know what's in it. <laughs> so how do you, so forget Excel, machine learning versus R and what we just talked about, how is that, what, what does that statement come from? Because what would they say that, well, regulars don't like machine learning because it's a black box. They don't, they don't know, for example, especially when it comes to modeling, you know, how you model uh, expected losses and recoveries and things like that. Or are they two separate topics? One is a one is a regulation in the auditing of the spreadsheet. Well, this is more how you came up with the uh, with your values, and frankly, we don't understand it. And this has been an ongoing question for decades, right? Back when we came up with neural networks back in the early '90s, um, regulators, uh, like you said, disdained this idea of a black box because they didn't, they couldn't see what the weights on various variables were and how they were being developed. Over time, as people have become auditors, have become more familiar with this concept, I think they've, they've started to lean more towards being willing to accept that type of black box as long as you document what goes in and what comes out, right, and how the black box is coded, if you will. So, for instance, uh, again, this boils down to what we were just discussing. If you had a artificial intelligence add-in for Excel, to the extent that you go in and manually put in values, and those values that you try aren't captured. The auditors aren't going to like that. If you do that same approach in a programming language, your script depicts what variables are being used, what weighting, um, sort of initial weighting scheme you're going to start with, that you then have the artificial intelligence learn and adjust on its own. So the point, again, boils down to documentation. With an artificial intelligence situation, I think auditors nowadays are more willing to accept those if you can show them everything that goes in. And everything that goes in in a coding language is much easier to to formalize and document than it is in a ad hoc, menu-driven, I play around with it and I see what answers I get interface like you see in Excel. Obviously, uh, as a student, you have to start worrying about these topics. Right? You have regulations, you have Excel, that's not dying, but it's undead. I mean, you're going to be using it as a common user, but if you want to do some serious work, and especially, I guess, what you're saying is the amount of data that's out there. I heard that... Um, you know, 90% of the data was created three years ago. Is that, is that? Oh, God, yes, I would say so. Um, okay. I can't remember the name of the law, but there's a law there that says that the da- amount of data is growing exponentially every single year. Um, I mean, we've talked in, in previous podcasts about the fact that Twitter gave the rights to the Twitter firehose to the Library of Congress, and they can't keep up with the data. They can't come up with a query engine that will run a query on the increasingly growing pool of data that they're getting from Twitter in a reasonable amount of time. They just can't stay ahead of the power curve in terms of the amount of data that's accumulating. So I think that's the other that's the other issue about Excel is that, you know, over the years they've worked in so that you can have on this sheet, here's a query from an underlying database that brings in a subset of data and so forth. But again, this whole idea of of that's because it's Excel and a Microsoft product. It works best, if you will, uh, with access databases. And access databases, you know, not a lot of businesses, not a lot of large businesses at least, are keeping their financial uh, numbers in an access database. They're keeping it in Hadoop distributed type databases. They're keeping it in non-SQL or NoSQL databases uh, and, and querying those types of things. There's packages for that in R and Python and, and C Sharp. 
Uh, I think uh, we, we should talk about at some point uh, quantum computing to see how this all fits together because obviously we need more power. We need new new software. We need new ways of coding, but uh, we probably need faster ways to process that information. So we'll just uh, end it here. Troy, thank you very much. My pleasure.